you so much. Thank you, ladies, for your help tonight. Young people, just keep on singing. That was a blessing. Help me. I needed it. His life for mine. Certainly, I certainly got the better end of that deal. Amen. His life, I got his life, he got mine. He didn't get much when he got me. But I got a whole lot when I got him. Amen. Thank you so much. Appreciate you all tonight. We'll turn in our Bibles and go back to the book of First Peter. Second Peter, rather, excuse me. Just continue on into the Word of God. I'm thankful that the Lord loves me. You know, love, if love reigns supreme, if love is the ultimate upon which you can hang all the law and the prophets, that you love God and love your neighbor, love your neighbors yourself, love demands freedom. Right? Love demands freedom. You can't have love apart from freedom. Love's a choice. And if I'm going to properly love, I've got to be free to choose to love, right? There's a lot of things about life I don't understand, um, but um, I'm sure I am glad that God's ways are greater than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And there's a lot of things I wouldn't have done or would have done, but I'm not God. I don't see things like he does. And so, uh, you know, I often think sometimes, why does God let this tragedy happen or that tragedy happen? And uh, why doesn't God intervene? If God has the power to stop something, why doesn't God stop it? Does anybody ever think about stuff like that? Things like that bother me. And uh, you're just left, really, at the feet of the sovereignty and majesty of God. He's just, he's, he's above us. And uh, things that I don't understand when we look back on it, we'll, I think, see a little bit clearer in time why God did some of the things that he did and allowed some of the things that he allowed. Because really, if you think about it, you only have one other option, and that's God make you a robot, right? That's determinism. That's 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 Calvinism in, in theology's terms. That's God made you do everything you're doing. You're not free at all. You're just doing what God determined you would do. And so you're just a piece in a puzzle that God moves around when he wants to. And that doesn't describe love to me, right? God, God gives a man the choice to choose to reject him or receive him, right? And you see where sovereignty meets the free will of man many times. Because I have called and you refuse. And I would, but you would not. Remember he told the old Jerusalem, how off would I have? I would, but you would not. And so um, God gives us a choice whether to choose to love him or not. He doesn't force any of us to be here tonight. Anybody forced to be here other than a teenager? Are you forced to be here tonight? No. We chose to be here because we love God, right? And we need help. We want to do our best for him. He deserves our best. He deserves our devotion. And so a lot of things we don't understand, but if we, along with freedom comes a possibility for sin too, right? So God made us as a free, sovereignly free God and gave us a, uh, chose to, uh, in his sovereignty to give us free will. And with that comes the possibility also to choose to do evil. So you can choose good or choose evil and choose to love God or choose to reject God. And so we can't have it both ways, right? God either intervenes and handles everything and God just makes little robots and we all just do exactly. Or God gives us the freedom and we live in a fallen world and men sometimes choose to do evil. But with that, we see the possibility of a savior, right? When you see, when you've chosen to do evil, 
And God brings you to the knowledge of that, and your conscience bears witness to it that you've done wrong, you've done evil. And I was lost. God brought me to the realization that I was wrong, I was wicked, I was evil. There was no soundness in me at all, right? And isn't that a wonderful truth to come to? And then if you come to the realization that there's that you're in sin, uh, lends itself to the need of a savior. See, God, God has got this figured out. God knew what he was doing when he did what he did. When he does what he does, just trust God. It'll, it'll work out in the end. You see, the possibility of a Savior, that leaves hope for salvation, doesn't it? I mean, so God, God's ways are above ours, and I'm glad that I can't figure him out. Aren't you? If I could figure him out, he wouldn't be God, would he? I could fit him into my mind and make him work all the time into A and B equals C and and two and two is always four, and I fit God into my little brain, he wouldn't be much to worship, would he? And so he's, he's outside of the realm of our possibilities. We can't even fathom all that God is. All that we know is what he's revealed himself to be. And with that knowledge that we do know, he has a high expectation for us to be saved and to live holy and godly in this present world, regardless of who the president is, Right? And so that expectation does not change. And so we started in Second Peter chapter 1, God's uh, expectation for us and his encouragement uh, of uh, being assured of our salvation and growing in grace and all the knowledge that goes with that. Uh, and then most of all is the knowledge of Scripture. Add, uh, be faithful to read the Word of God, which we ended on this morning in dealing with the infallible and errant. And may I say both are true. You really can't have one without the other. There, the Word of God is infallible and inerrant. Uh, we hold a perfect Bible in our hands. And so you can trust it, lean on it, trust it, heed yourself to it, right? More than just read it. Yield your life. Give yourself to putting the Bible into action. It's not a storybook for us to read. It's a guidebook to guide our lives and how to live in a manner that's pleasing to God. And so we are to give ourselves. In Second Peter chapter 1, he ended uh, this. Uh, we also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed. And that word means to, uh, obviously we addressed it this morning, but that means to give yourself to. And so um, we are going to give ourselves to this more solid, more sure, more trustworthy, solid foundation that can be trusted. Uh, we can't trust our own understanding. We can't lean on our own uh, thoughts and hearts and become our own God. That is the danger um, in this uh, humanistic, postmodern, uh, this world we live in today uh, really teaches people to be their own God at the end of the day. And um, we're going to see that, that that's what's going to happen and why he's exhorting us so much the more that we just give ourselves wholly to the word of God more than our necessary food. We should desire his word and have it in our hearts and meditation and intention to obey it. And so he kind of ends there with growing, adding to your faith for the possibilities that you have in that great future, which I'm still looking forward to, that entrance uh, into that everlasting kingdom. Uh, but then also he ends the, um, uh, chapter number one uh, where we saw this morning the authority is flawless. The word of God is absolutely perfect. Every single word is pure, right? Don't ever lose don't ever forget that. Every word of God is pure. His word is true from the beginning. 
And um, we need to never doubt and never cast doubt on the Word of God. And I wouldn't keep company with anybody uh, that causes you to doubt the Word of God, right? Keep, keep those people far away from you um, because that's what we're going to deal with in the second chapter. Um, and so we've got a lot of that going on in our day. And so Satan has a very subtle way of uh, taking the truth and making it a lie. And so how he does that, he takes, takes little things that are true but twists them just enough to make them not right. Right, he doesn't want to be too obvious when he comes to you. You know, he wants to. He, he operates in subtlety. God doesn't do that. God is right out front, right forthright. He even he gave you a collection of sixty-six books to tell you everything he wanted you to know. He's not hiding anything from you. He's not keeping anything back. He's not playing a game where he's um, withholding from you the ability to keep his word. Right? God's not fooling around and playing games. God operates in the light, and he operates in the truth. Uh, our enemy, when he doesn't know our adversary, and he operates in the dark, he operates in subtlety. He doesn't, young people, he's not going to necessarily always bring somebody to your door that you would obviously know that's not somebody who you need to be with. Now, a lot of people get that way, but he'll bring things to you that don't necessarily seem wrong, but if it's not the will of God, it's wrong, Right? And so there's times like that we must be careful, and that's why we must be sensitive to the Spirit, and we must know the Scriptures. And so he ends that chapter, uh, in chapter number one, in remembering to be fruitful in the present, he ends with the Scriptures and the Word of God. And there's a reason for that, uh, because there's a great emphasis on the Word of God. I'm appalled, really, uh, at the so-called evangelicals, the so-called uh, Christians, uh, that know so little of their Bible, Right? It's amazing to me that they, they're okay with some of the things they're okay with. Uh, well, you know, it's not, who am I to judge if somebody wants to have an abortion? That's, who am I to judge, right? <laughs> it's amazing a Christian would say that. Well, if two men want to get married, well, who am I to judge? You know, everybody's got sin, and just because they don't sin like me doesn't mean I have... Christians making statements like they don't they don't read the Bible, right? Right? Not, listen, what what we preach and teach and believe and live, don't blame us with it. We're just we're just we're just uh, uh, we, our whole belief system is upon the final authority of the Bible, right? I didn't just dream this and lay down last night and come up with something to say. God's Bible, God's inerrant Word is what's being preached. For the Word of God is pure and the Word of God, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed. It's a God-breathed Bible. It's alive. And I love it. It's, it's led me through some dark times and it lights my way every day and it never lets me down when I go to it. It's just young people, if I could exhort you to do anything, just give yourself to the study and the meditation and the reading of the Word of God and you will end up all right. <laughs> Take heed to the Word of God. And so um, you got to have the Word of God. So he, he ends that part not just getting through suffering merely, but being fruitful during those times. And, uh, and so we end chapter 1 knowing this first that no prophecy of the Scriptures is any private interpretation. Second Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 20. And so to me now, this has a threefold meaning. Knowing this first that no prophecy of the Scriptures is of any private interpretation. Number 1, to the reader. Right? Nobody has the right to interpret the Bible. There's no, we, we covered this, but I'm going to cover it quickly. There's no my truth and your truth, right? 
Well, that's how you see it, but I see it differently, and so we'll just kind of agree to disagree. No, there's no agreeing to disagreeing. Somebody's right, somebody's wrong, right? God said something, he meant something when he said it, and it's up to us to take it in context and, and, and determine the meaning within the context of the Scriptures, right? And comparing Scripture with Scripture. And so to further that, in the second place, no privacy, no other Scriptures are private interpretation, and it's not to be isolated, you don't take one verse and isolate it out and privatize it and build a doctrine on it, right? You see people do that all the time. And so you can isolate portions of the Scripture. You can't isolate a verse out. The, the Bible will always agree with itself. Scripture with Scripture, here a little, there a little, and you'll compare Scripture with Scripture to come up with the meaning. And so uh, if you just grab a verse out and take it out of context, which mo most folks do when they try to battle you with something like, don't judge me, Right? Christians saying things like that, right? Don't judge me, you know? I mean, it, it's, it's really, it's, a, it's, it's, almost, it's almost, I almost take offense to it. I understand the ignorance that is in the world. I understand that because I was there too, all right? They, they don't know. They don't have understanding. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. He can't know them. He's not and subject to them. The natural carnal mind is not subject to those things. It, it can't be. Right? Because these things are spiritually understood. So I understand that. But how can you sit in a Bible church that preaches the Bible and believe it's okay to murder somebody? Right? I don't care what anybody says. That's not just a tumor. That's not a collection of cells growing inside of a woman's body. A tumor doesn't grow into a human being. Right? It's not just a collection of cells. If you, leave that, if you leave that collection of cells alone, in nine months, it will be a full-grown human being, right? Within weeks, it can feel pain. So the argument all the time, when is it okay to murder somebody? That's my question to, to a Christian. Well, when is, that, when is that life that's inside of that mother, when, when is it a life that has value? At what point? When his heart starts beating? If you draw the line at the heartbeat, how many people are kept alive with pacemakers? Can we kill everybody with a pacemaker? Life has value because people are created in the image of God. He's got their members written in a book, right? They're in the mind of God before they ever come together and they were formed in the womb. That life uh, began from the moment of conception. In my opinion, it predates that. And, and it's not sentience, it's not the ability to perceive pain, and it's not potential sentience. What if you're in a coma? Can I come along and stab somebody in a coma? Right? If you can, if you can murder, if you can murder a, a human being that's in, some, that's in the mother's womb, when is it okay to murder them? Can I say it's never okay? Any line that you draw, I don't, I don't care, I know a lot of people draw it in the heartbeat. Any line that's drawn beyond conception is, is going to create a, a, a situation where they can also be applied to a full-grown human being in a hospital, right? Should we go to the hospital and just go through and murder everybody in a coma? If it's okay to murder a baby that's got potential sentience and may not have it yet, then we can murder somebody that's in a coma that may come out of it, right? It makes no sense. Life is valuable. Your life is valuable. And it has value because you're created in the image of God. That's why you're valuable. God proved how valuable you are when he died for you on Calvary. And when he come to the place which is called Calvary. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, you're, you're, 
your uh, rationing, your reasoning, your logic, your sentience, your uh, anything else doesn't give your life value. What gives your life value is the fact that you've been created in the image of a holy God and he said you're valuable enough to die for. That's what makes humans valuable. And if you're that valuable, so is that innocent child in the womb of a mother. They've got value because they've been created in the image of a holy God who said their life's valuable. Right? And you don't have the right to kill it. If you wanted the choice, you should have made the choice before you laid down with somebody and had a relationship. You should have thought about that a long time ago. You had a choice when you choose to fornicate. Right? And you don't murder somebody else because you're a fornicator. Woo! I'm sending this one to Washington tonight. They come and arrest me. This guy's nuts. He's being a straitjacket. Human life is valuable. You're valuable tonight. You mean something to God. If you're unsaved, you mean something to God. Your life has value. You don't have the right to take it yourself. I don't care how depressed you get. God gave you life and he breathed life into you. You young people, listen to me. That's never the answer. You don't have the right to determine. God gives life and takes it away. That's God's business. And you make yourself your own God when you come to the place you feel like your life's invaluable and not worth living anymore. God said it's worth living. God gave you life. God imparted a piece of himself when he formed man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's a gift from God. I don't know about you, but I've seen young people so depressed and down. I don't know what the suicide rates are nowadays, but it, that's gotta be, it's got to be through the roof. I know they rose quite a bit among uh, working class folks during this shutdown. And if we're lucky enough, maybe he'll shut the whole thing down again. Won't that be nice? I'm doing everything I can not to be political tonight. It's taking everything I got to stay in the Word. But I don't, I don't know who's more wicked. The ones doing it or the ones sympathetic to it. Now listen, I don't, want to have to st- I don't want to have to make the decision. I understand the thoughts of, uh, you know... Um, a woman being uh, abused, uh, and, and that word, you know, that word against her will, uh, and comes to, you know, and things that happen in families, and I know those very small situations, I couldn't imagine what that'd be like as a young lady, and so I'm not trying to make life harder on anybody, but the choice is definitely not to murder and take the life of the innocent because of some monster. Who knows what God would do with that person? It's wicked. It's straight out of the pit of hell. And there's no excuse for anybody taking the life of an innocent baby. And I want that on record. I'm against it. I'm against it at any moment. I'm against it at conception. A week after, two days after, an hour after. I'm against killing innocent children. I'm against making little babies pay for the sins of other people. I'm against it. And we ought to be against it. And I don't care if they put in the White House, I'm still going to preach against it. Sometimes you just got to be against something. I'm against it. Oh, that's, all, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> I'd like to say a whole lot more. Boy, it infuriates me. People ought to know better. I mean, here Bible Christians make some of the statements that they make. It just, it's beyond me. 
They claim to love God and claim to know God, and they're okay with all kinds of uh, different religions. And, and look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to help anybody along. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not friends with anybody that teaches anything but repentance towards God and faith in Jesus. I'm not their pal. I'm not their buddy. We're not working together. We're not under the same cause. I'm not joining them for prayer breakfast. Come on now. Because I don't believe their same God is my God. Their God's not my God. My God said he's exclusive and there's only one way and that way is Jesus or you'll burn in hell when you die. And I'm not going to hold hands with people at a prayer breakfast or any other time and try to pray, play friendly and pray to 15 different gods because they're not praying to my God. If my God told them that he's okay with other ways into heaven, there is no other way into heaven. I don't care if it's a mason. I don't care what it is. I don't care what outfit it's with. And if you're a mason, you better get out of that mess as, as quick as you can get out of it. It's a bunch of heathenism. It's godless. There's nothing godly about it. You're not, you're not, you're not fooling anybody. There's nothing godly going on inside a Mason Lodge. I'm not holding hands with that bunch. I'm not friends with them. We're not on the same team. I'm not on the team with the Shriners either. I'm just going to get every bit of it while I'm here. Sometimes if you're going to make them mad, just get the whole thing. Make everybody mad. I'm stirred up a little bit in my spirit. We ought to know better in this stuff. I, I, I love sinners. I, I, I'm telling you, I can put up with a lot. I, I've been out there. I'm telling you, I've got a heart for people addicted to drugs and people that are just uh, uh, abusing their bodies and, and sinning against their own bodies. And I, I got a heart for people that are lost without God, without hope in the world. And they're doing all manner of evil and wickedness. And, and man, I, I take my heart enlarged for them. I'm not, I'm not mad at that group. I tell you, the group that offends me is people that claim to love the Bible, but they're sympathetic to all that mess. That's one thing to be perverted in your mind and to forget, leave the natural use of a woman to work a man with a man is that which is unseemly. That's one thing. But it's quite something different for somebody to believe a King James Bible and be okay with that mess and propagate it and promote it and say it's okay. It's not okay. God's against it. It's an abomination. Right? We got to just stand for these things. That doesn't mean you hate people. We want to see people saved. I don't hate them. I tell you, I, I got, I got a heart. I, I got a heart for the drunks. I got a heart for the dopers. I got a heart for people. But I'm against this religious crowd that's trafficking in souls and telling people they can live any way they want to and go to heaven when they die. It is just not so. It's just not true. The Bible doesn't bear it out. It's not so. It's false. They're leading you astray. And I'm not with them. I don't wish them well. I don't bid them God's speed. I don't hope their churches prosper. In fact, I hope the whole thing burns to the ground with nobody in it. And God dispels the whole crowd. That goes for any church in Rome County that doesn't preach repentance towards God and faith in Jesus. I'm actively against your church. Because you're, 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 you're preaching damnable heresy. And people are going to go to hell believing they have a relationship with God because you let them into a prayer and you knew better. <laughs> Woo! But the truth will just set you free. I'm, I'm telling you, I got a heart for people. There's people I know, I'm one of them, that have just been led in those quick prayers and signed a card and somebody dunked them under and... Man, people will argue with you. You tell them they're not saved. Well, if you repeated this prayer, you're saved. How dangerous is that? That's what he's getting into here. We got to know our Bible. 
And I'm not against the poor soul that has been led astray. How many of us in this building tonight have been led into some kind of sinner's prayer so-called or down some Romans road or Ephesians Avenue or whatever it was for you? Uh, I mean, many of us have been led to believing those kind of things. And thank God he didn't abandon us. Thank God he brought us the truth of repentance towards God and faith in Jesus. Thank God he didn't abandon us. He cares for our soul. But these people preaching this mess and preaching this garbage uh, that you can but just re- merely repeat something and mentally assent to a set of facts in your brain and go to heaven, they're preaching heresy is what they're preaching. And don't, I don't want to be invited to their meetings. I'm not going to their revivals. I'm not supporting their ministries. Amen. Come on now. We got to take a stand, church. I'm against this mess. How many of you have run into people? They've been a drunk all their life, and they said some little prayer when they were three because some heretic led them into a prayer, and they think they know God. And they wouldn't know Him if they met Him out here with a name tag on. They hate the Bible. They hate church. You're not saved, and you got hate in your heart towards the people of God. You're not saved if you don't love the Word of God. You're not saved if you don't have a a heart for Jesus. You're not saved if you don't love God's bride. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. We know we pass from death unto life because we love one another. Right? That's what changed in my life. Godly sorrow works repentance not to be repented of. And the love of God was shed abroad in my heart. And I am full of love whether I look like it or not. But there's a crowd I don't love in the right biblical sins. I think they ought to be accursed. Uh, they ought to be cut off. Anybody, those universals got, still got me stirred up. Anybody just preaches, how about it, how about it, Dad, Mom? Some, some messed up religious person comes along and tells your young person, well, just look inside yourself. That's their answer. Look inside your own heart. Be your own God. Figure it out on your own. What makes you happy? I'd take a liquor store over some of these so-called churches that are damning people's souls to hell because they're preaching a false gospel. And that won't make us popular here, but it will in heaven, Brother Reed. God loves the truth. And I'd stay under the truth. I wouldn't, I would, I'm telling you, I understand the flesh. It feels good. They'll pat you on the back. Oh, you'll be all right. Just do the best you can. And I told somebody today, I don't need anybody to help me making excuses for myself. I do that plenty enough. All right? I, I have no problem making excuses for my sins and my failure. I need somebody that'll just take a Bible and just preach to me what God said and let let it just stand where it stands. Don't you? Amen. Thank the Lord for the truth. And that's why I said, familiarize yourself. Stay in the Word of God. And young people, when these heretics come along and it sounds good, and they say, well, we, we, we have room for you also. We, if, you, if you believe in the God of the Bible, we have room for you also. No, they don't. No, they don't have room for you also. They're actually excluding you by that very statement. Because your God is exclusive. There are no other gods besides me. That's what he said. 
Well, is anybody mad? Brother Ray's a little mad. Okay. I know better than that. It takes a lot more to get him mad than that. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that good to just know the truth? Now, here's what he's going to warn them. Remember to be fruitful in the present. And uh, remember to be fruitful in the present. I don't even remember my own outline. I'll have to look at it. Remember the fallacy of the pernicious. So start in chapter number two, and let's read verse number one, and let's go through this together. I think we're going to need more and more, as Tozer said, we're going to need more and more of the spirit of discernment. Because there's so many things that look right. Right? It's so hard anymore to tell the difference. It's, if you put everybody in a bag and shake them up and pour them out, you wouldn't know the difference sometimes of what's real and what's not. Right? There's all kinds of different ones coming out. There's the new fundamentalists coming out. There's some fundamentalists that take Baptists off the sign and they're not Baptists anymore because they're afraid to be identified with Baptists. And who are these people anymore? What do they believe? What are they teaching? You understand what I'm saying? There's, there's a lot of stuff coming on that religions, as men are pushed further, further and encouraged, young people encouraged more and more to become their own gods, we're going to see such a plurality of various different religions. Why? Because everybody's got one. Right? As one man said, they're like armpits. They all stink. Nobody's opinion really matters. This is the only thing that matters. This is the truth. Right? And if it don't line up with this, get away from it. Right? Just don't forget that. You can't, you can't, you can't operate in emotion. You can't operate in feelings. You, 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 can't, you, can't, you can't decide, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away from this truth because of how I feel about what somebody else has done about it, right? doesn't change the truth. That's why the truth is so important. It doesn't matter what you do with the truth, I'm still obligated to it. I can't let my feelings about you in, uh, excuse me before God, right? It doesn't, you, you, you've got to operate in a manner where your life is lived based on the truth. Not your opinion, not your feeling, and not your, the feelings of others and the opinions of others. Nothing but the pure, unadulterated truth. And you can only find that in a King James Bible for English-speaking people. It's the only place you'll find it. You might find bits and pieces of it scattered in other plate, other commentaries. But here's where you'll find the truth. And we've flipped pages. We're at 1 Peter. 2 Peter, chapter number 2. So while you're suffering and how to maintain, how to endure afflictions as a good soldier, and in chapter number 1, and in chapter number 2, reminds us to be fruitful. And then there's a warning that he inserts here of the enemies that are within. Now, when you say things like that, everybody starts looking around at each other. Well, I wonder who it is. So let's not be worried about everybody. And oh, I knew they weren't real. So and so didn't come to church tonight. Knew they didn't get it. People do that, don't they? Somebody better say, "Man, y'all know y'all done it." That's not what we're talking about here. But we're talking about that instance in which Paul said, "Many walk." There's a lot of people walking, claiming under the banner of Jesus. They're walking under the name of Christianity. But they're enemies of the cross. They're not our pals, right? And why is that? And we'll look at two verses before we go home tonight. There's two verses why we're exhorted. It is so vital. It's so important. People say, well, I just don't like all that doctrine. Well, doctrine just means teaching, and the Bible says I'm to give myself to doctrine, right? 
People that believe you can lose your salvation, people that believe you can, those, those are not sound doctrines, right? I know people that have left fundamental churches and they're in charismatic churches today. Now, if they want to take a Bible and tell us why they did that, I could at least understand it. But all the, you know, the only answer that you get is mostly the emotion. Well, people over there accept me. They love me. Listen, young people, live church, especially young people, this is good for all of us. Church is not about you finding a place where, you, where everybody likes you and you feel good about yourself. Right? It's about finding where the truth is being preached in the power of the Spirit of God. That's what church is about. And it's quite actually the opposite. It's about finding a place where, you can, where God wants you to be, where you can be on the will of God, and where you can be a benefit to others, right? It's not all about you. So you can't operate and say, well, I don't feel good here, or they make me mad, or this crowd, or there's that. Forget junk all that. Just turn to the truth. Forget your feelings. Forget your opinions. Just turn to the truth. Where am I going to get truth for my soul? Right? That's what's vital. No, I want to be around the truth. Don't you really care? I want to be in the truth. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. You know, there's some people, I've said it before and I'll say it one more time before we get moving here. There's some things we can disagree on. You know, I'm not saying that there's a, an essentials unity spirit here, but to a degree there is to a degree. You know, if you think it's wrong for me to wear this blue shirt tonight and I ought to wear a white one, well, you know, I got something I'd like to say to you. It wouldn't be from the pulpit. I just find you a preacher that wears a white shirt. That's fine with me. I wouldn't blame you, right? There's things we can disagree on. Well, I think my skirt ought to come to the knee. I think my skirt ought to come to the calf. I'll wear them down to the ankle. I don't, you know, I, if you're covering your thighs, I don't, I can, I can part away. I, I, listen, I can understand with people. I can work with people. I can, I'm telling you, there's some differences. There's some things about uh, the revelation some of us don't understand. And we can, but there is some things we cannot be willing to compromise on, and that begins at the gospel. We have to be firm and said in the truth of what saves a man's soul from hell, and that is only repentance towards God and faith in Jesus. Anything outside of that, adding anything to that is another gospel, and God said, let them be a curse, let them be cut off, mark people that walk contrary to sound doctrine, and don't hold hands with them, don't wish them all the best, avoid them. Stay clear away from them. Right? Well, they're not that bad a guy. I think you'll come to find out as you continue on, they'll infect you with some of that heresy. You just can't be around it, right? So, uh, uh, verse number one, he says of chapter number two, after he exhorts them to the scripture, can I, can I read you this? I, I had it memorized, but I've, I apologize. I've, I've been so scattered the past couple of Sundays, and my brain is just, but I wanted to read this to you to end chapter one. Isaac Watts was laying dying and he observed in conversation with a friend that he remembered an aged minister who used to say that the most learned and knowing Christians when they came to die have only the same plain promise of the gospel for their support as the common and the unlearned. And so he said, I find it. It is the plain promises that do not require much labor and pains to understand them, for I can do nothing now but look unto my Bible for some promises to support me and live upon that. The gospel's our only hope.
It's all we've got. It can't be faith in Jesus plus you keeping it. It can't be faith plus the Sabbath. It can't be faith plus circumcision. It, it is just simple Bible faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. That is the only thing that will save you tonight if you are lost is faith in Jesus Christ. Not in His mere works, not in what He's done, not in what He's going to, but faith in Him and who He has declared Himself to be. That will save you. That's life eternal. And I'm glad I know Him. Now, having those things, he, we'll start, we'll just give verse number one, and here's something that I'm seeing come along, and I don't want to dive too much into this, but in remembering the fallacy of the pernicious, number, verse number one, the pernicious, excuse me, recognizing fallacy is my first uh, point here. That we must recognize the fallacy. Now he says, but there were false prophets also among the people. Now that's on the hills for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, right? God instituted this. He started this book and it wasn't by the will of men. Holy men of old spakes, they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Then verse number two, but there were false prophets also among the people. Even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. As I, the further I go along, uh, and we won't get past this verse tonight, but as the further I go along, the more and more I see, even in religion, a push for you to become your own God. Is that, is that not what they're doing here? These, these false teachers, they have a problem, and their problem is lordship. Does that sound familiar? There's Baptist churches that have a problem with lordship. I don't have a problem with it. For God's made this same Jesus both and Christ. They, listen to the verse now very carefully. The Holy Ghost didn't make any mistake. There's a reason. It's very calculating why he says what he said. They, de they don't deny the Christ that saved them. Right? They deny the Lord that bought them. You say, preacher, why are you so hard against, there was a certain IFB, I hate grouping people up in the thing, but just to, and I was against supporting them. I, I don't support them because the preacher denies lordship. He believes that you can make Jesus Lord of your life after you get saved sometime down the road. But if you don't, you're just going to lose rewards, but you'll still go to heaven. That is heresy. That's heresy. That's not true. Christ is Lord. He's Savior and Lord. He's not one or the other. You don't get to pick titles. He's not a buffet. I'll take him as Savior, but I'm not going to let him rule over my life. If you don't let him rule over your life, he won't be your Savior. I didn't get near the amen. Do y'all believe that? I hope you believe that. He's the Lord. For you know that you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. He bought you, right? He's the owner, the ruler, the only potentate. He's the, he's the chief, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. 
Why do people challenge that? Why is that a problem? I don't have a problem with, the, with, with admitting that. A lot of times I have a problem submitting to that. Can I get an amen there then? There's where my problem is. My problem's not in accepting the truth. My problem often is obeying it. My problem is not recognizing and realizing theologically the truth of, Christ, of the Lordship of Jesus. My problem is submitting myself to it every day. <laughs> not even every day, sometimes every hour. Brother Barnes, he can go either way sometimes throughout the day, depending on who. Well, but it shouldn't be that way, right? Anybody have a problem with that in here tonight? Sure, we all have a problem with submitting ourselves to his rule, submitting to his will. We get in our own way. We, we want our own things, and we think things for ourselves, and we, we do it and try to sprinkle in God's blessing on it later on. And there are all kinds of things that we do and not submit. And for that, I'm, hey, we're here to help each other in those kind of problems. But something I can't help you with, if you claim to know Jesus and you deny that he's Lord, you are lost. You cannot be saved and receive Christ as Savior and deny him as Lord knowingly. I'm not saying you have to understand theologically and have, you know, be able to write a dissertation on, on soteriology. I'm not saying you have to do that. But I am saying there comes a basic understanding when you humble yourself on an altar and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You're the only hope I got. Right? Not, Lord, I've made a mess, and if you'll save me out of it, I'm still going to run my life. But maybe down the road, I'll let you have a say-so. Right? I love it. I love the fact he's Lord. I just wish I could obey him more, don't you? I struggle with that. Even in the most minute areas of my life. You know, for some of us, it's not, um, after God saves us, for some of us, it's not drinking and fornication and idolatry and some of the big names, if we can say that. For some of us, it's not what we're doing, and sometimes it's what we're not doing. For a man to knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him... It's sin, right? And sometimes I have just, just a hard time battling my flesh to do what's right as to withholding and not doing something that's wrong. Sometimes the battle's greater to force yourself to do what's right. How many of you have a, had a nudge from the Holy Ghost to say, you better give that person a track, tell them about Jesus? That's the kind of stuff I'm dealing with. You know, when, when Paul talked about, I find that a law worked in my members, but evil present with me, is when I would do good, and then so the things that I would, I would not, and the things I wouldn't do, that I do. And he's not talking about going and, and committing adultery. Those are the kind of things he's thinking about. You know, he's not talking about going and stabbing somebody. Because we know no murderer has eternal life abiding in them, right? That's all the things he's talking about. He said, I find that a law warring against the law of my mind, warring against the law. And he said, I, I find that. So even when I'm doing good, there's times that thoughts come by or, or I'm pulled in a certain direction. And those are the things that he's talking about. Sometimes it's just as, it's just as hard to do the right thing as it is not to do the wrong thing, right? But that's surrendering to his lordship. That's denying yourself. See, we, we preach and we teach the exact opposite of what the socialists and the humanists that are teaching our young people in schools today. You are not your own God. You are not your own. And you don't need to live your best life now. You need to live for the glory of God now. You need to die to yourself, deny yourself, turn on yourself. But, but uh, everything that you think would be good, all those things that were gained to me, I counted lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I counted all things but dumb. I suffered the loss of everything. 
I had the sentence of death in myself. That's why Paul wasn't offended. Because he was already judged himself dead. That old man was dead. Some of us are so offended because we're too alive. Right? It's not about us getting patted on the back. It's not about us. But we make everything about us. And everything's not about us. Now, don't get mad. I just told you how valuable you were. Don't forget the first part of the message. I'm not going to devalue, but I don't want to overvalue us, right? Without him, we're nothing. And so we had to be careful. That's why he's exhorting us to the word of God because there's going to be people that will creep in. And I told that story on Amber, listening to that guy. Uh, but, I, but I've seen it happen time and time again. My, mother, my grandmother told me this. Uh, her husband had passed away and her father was dead. So she, she had no head. And so she was, she was, she was a, a widow indeed, you know, to the church. And uh, so she, she was a widow there in the church uh, somewhere around the 50s or 60s or Maybe it was the 50s. They came into uh, to, to Baptist churches and they started telling them, this Bible's just easier to understand. And they started bringing in NIV Bibles. Well, she didn't know any different. She just thought it was easier to understand. Right? I mean, she didn't, she didn't know the difference. She didn't study it out. She just thought, well, some of those words, yeah, I kind of don't understand them. So this one's easier to understand. It makes sense, right? Boy, that was subtle, wasn't it? How they slid that thing in there. They pushed it as it's just easier to understand. It's not about being easier to understand. It's about what is God's word says, right? It's God's words, right? Not making it easy for our illiteracy, right? Well, we must be careful. Stay with the word of God because as we see the day approaching, more and more there's going to be stuff creeping our churches. Hey, you can spot these, these universalists. They're pretty easy to attack and deal with. Where it gets tough is when, they, when they're in the church with you and, they're, and they're, they're, they're the enemies from within, right? Because here's what's happened. They'll start teaching tangible heresies. They'll start teaching actual heresy within the church. And with their smooth ways, they'll start drawing people into themselves, right? And he's going to go into that. These, these, these people, whether knowingly or unknowingly, they're being used by the enemy to teach things that are not biblical to people that know better and should know better not to follow after them, Right? And so you say, well, I'm afraid to death. Somebody's going to teach me something that's not wrong. Not if you just stay in your Bible. You don't have to worry about it. Right? God's not going to let you be led astray. He gave you a book. Right? And so if I start teaching something, Cody, it ain't in that book, file 13 it. It ain't no good if it ain't in this book. That goes for me or any other preacher in this pulpit. Right? That feels so good to say. We got to go home now. I didn't get to where I wanted to go again. I've been struggling. Y'all pray for me past two services. I've just been struggling getting my mind. You know, you have it in your heart, and you just can't get it to translate out from your brain to your mouth. But one thing that is encouraging is like this light that we have, and we keep our, book, our face stuck in it before we know it, there's going to be a new day dawn. Jesus will be here before you know it, Right? Sometimes I feel like the kid. I feel like a kid when I was going on. We, we had this van. I got sick every time we'd go on vacation, and I was one of those kids that I can't stand now. Are we there yet? I, that was me. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Good night. The the beach ain't this fun. I'm gonna tell you. Let's just go to the mountains. I'm not driving eight hours. It's miserable in that vehicle. Everybody fighting and mad, and I hated it. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I was one of those kids. And I feel like I'm that way with the Lord sometimes. Like, Lord, are you coming yet? 
I don't, I don't know about y'all. I get weary in this place. I get weary fighting myself, battling my own flesh, warring against various things for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, brother, petty core, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We're waging, we're in a war. We're in a battle every day of our life. And it gets weary. It gets tiresome. Stand to your feet. But it won't be long, church. Everything you've read about and all you believe will come to side. You'll hear that trump, that shout. I hope he comes when I'm alive, aren't you? I want to be alive when he comes. But either way, I'm going to be with him. So keep that hope in yourself, and we'll just try to continue on in that chapter. It will give us a good idea of how to spot various things and keep us from being led astray. I don't want to be led astray, and it can happen to the best of us. But if we'll stay in the Word, the Word of God will keep us from being led astray. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the Word of God. I wish somehow, some way, I could preach it in a manner, Lord, that would do it any justice. But anybody here to save, Lord, knows how appreciative we are of your truth and your words. Thank you for loving us enough and not leaving us to ourselves. Thank you for taking your abode in us. Thank you for leaving us your word. You've certainly given us everything necessary pertaining to life and godliness. And for that, we love you and thankful because you loved us first. If there's any here tonight, maybe, Lord, are cold and indifferent, and maybe there's some here tonight that are lost. I pray especially for them. The time's short. Lord, please help them to see that their days are numbered. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just one song if you need to come. One verse. Excuse me. You come. Brother Reed.